My name is Will Holdren. I am the host of the Will Power Podcast. Today we have a very special guest, and his name is Anthony Moore. And Anthony actually worked in the nine to five world for quite some time in management. He was an excellent leader that led quite a quite a bit of huge teams. He actually worked all worked his way up to vice president of operations in some instances. Uh, even with that being said, he decided to switch out of that role and go more into entrepreneurship and the real estate side of things. So with that being said, it's an honor to have him on here. So Anthony, thank you so much for joining me today. Wow, man. Will, it's a pleasure, man. And thank you. I love what you got going on here, brother. Very proud of you. I appreciate this. Just trying to inspire, you know, some people to also make that jump into entre- entrepreneurship just like you did. Um, so I kind of want to jump into your story a little bit. I know you did a lot of management. You worked in 9 to 5 for quite some time. And then you made that jump. So I just want to jump to the end of that story. So what made you want to leave management in the 9 to 5 world, even though you were quite successful in that arena, and go into entrepreneurship, which is something, you know, newer for you? I had done a lot of reading, man, and research, and I realized that a lot of wealthy people either parked their money or they made their money in real estate. And then I read a book, uh, you, I'm sure you've heard of it, a lot of people have heard of it, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And yeah. I started looking at it, I'm like, man, you know, I'm making a quarter million dollars a year uh, salary, but literally I'm seeing almost less than half of that in net income. You know what I mean? So I realized that uh, in the business world, you know, I would get my gross income. So I would get a, an offer letter saying, hey, Anthony, welcome to the team. Your, you know, your salary is $250,000. Um, but ultimately, in my head, I knew that, OK, I'm considered by the government a highly compensated individual, which means that I'm in that 37 percent federal tax bracket, three uh, percent for the state. So that's 40 percent gone right off the bat. You got 401k, you got all these other deductions, you know, so then I get you know, somewhere around 120 or whatever. Then out of that money, I still have to pay my mortgage, my car notes, my insurance, my groceries, my living expenses, vacations, investments, and all that stuff. And there's not really much left over after that. Uh, But as a business owner, you know, I get to generate revenue and then I get to pay all of my expenses, you know, my truck payments for the trucking business or my depreciation on the houses that I own. Um, If I have to travel, You know, uh, the IRS has certain guidelines around, you know, as long as you're conducting business uh, for a portion of that time, then, you know, that entire trip, airfare, hotel, meals are all um, uh, tax write-offs. So now, as opposed to, you know, Uncle Sam taking money before I even see it, now I get to make the money, pay all of my expenses, and then what's left over, I pay tax on, you know. So as a savvy um, investor and entrepreneur, you know, I made sure that that whatever's left over is as close to zero as possible because obviously you know or negative for that matter right because anything times zero is zero and anything times a negative number is a negative number which means your taxes um are pretty much null and void so i haven't paid federal taxes and uh or had to pay i should say i filed taxes but i haven't had to pay because i was an accountant um literally in four years you know i mean pennsylvania always end up owing a couple hundred bucks here and there but not a big right. deal. You know, that's yeah. why I really wanted to make that's what got me really interested in making that jump into yeah. the uh, entrepreneurial realm. Sure. And yeah, I mean, that is a huge mindset shift, just like you're talking about. And like you said, it just took some knowledge outside of what you're doing, reading the books, listening to other videos, see what other people are doing out there with their money. Um, so with that being said, why do you think most people can't really recognize 
the advantages of being a business owner, right? Or making that jump for themselves. Why do you think so many people struggle with doing that? Even though there's so I mean, many it's, it's, it's the it's the indoctrination, you know. So from from my perspective, you know, I uh, I grew up in North Carolina. My parents uh, grew up in the Jim Crow South, so they had to experience um, desegregation, basically. So they had you know white schools and black schools, and then uh, at their senior year was forced integration, right? So that kind of swept across the U.S. And so now you've got, um, you know, black and white and all sorts of uh, nationalities together in school. And if you go back to Jim Crow days, especially, you know, with uh, minority families, especially, you know, your only dream back in the, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s was to hopefully get a good job and pray that your employer took care of you. You know what I mean? You could retire from there. So, you know, my parents, unfortunately, that was, you know, that was their their upbringing, which, you know, we, we saw all these injustices, you know, if I can just get a job and hold on to it, then I can provide for my family and things of that sort. So that's all you're taught. You know what I mean, so like even for me growing up through school, my parents really pushed that into me, you know, make sure you get your education, you know, make sure that you, you know, um, get you a nice, stable job, you yeah. know, to make sure you invest in your retirement. You know what I mean? So it, it's indoctrinated, yeah. right? And if you really go back in time and study how the school system, you know, came about, it came through Rockefeller, you know what I mean? And Andrew Carnegie and those guys, right? So they literally wanted to have a system to generate employees, right? So you, you go to school, you're taught how to follow directions. You're taught how to, you know, do a basic level problem solving. You're taught how to, again, follow instructions, be obedient. You know what I mean? You're not really taught how to be creative a lot of times in school. You're indoctrinated in order to become a good employee for somebody else, right? For that 1% or half a percent people who uh, have these big conglomerate corporations and things of that sort, you know? So uh, literally it's, it's kind of like that movie, The Matrix. Like you're plugged in from birth basically, and it takes you know a, a good book or a good documentary to get you thinking about things a little differently. And the other thing is, you know, when you work for somebody else, it's safe, it's secure. You know what I mean? You come in, someone tells you what to do all day. You do that. And in exchange for your time, you get a paycheck. You know what I mean? But when you're an entrepreneur, you literally have to eat what you kill. Yeah. So if you're not out there hustling, if you're not out there, you know, generating a sound business and getting returns on those investments that you're making, you don't eat. You know what I mean? And I had some really rough and scary times where it was like, what the hell is I thinking? Maybe I need to go back to, you know, what's comfortable. Right. Uh, ultimately that is not going to help me achieve my long-term wealth goals. Yeah. 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 I think you said that pretty spot on and perfectly. I think a lot of people, like you said, they're not, not everyone's meant to be an entrepreneur to start their own business, but I also think the issue is that not a lot of people understand the other side of it. Yeah. Like talking about people are just indoctrinated to go to college, get that job and retire hopefully after 40, 50 years. Right. Once right. You, once you have your savings built up. And to me, not a lot of people are thinking about the other options of what's really out there. Like, is it really right. worth it to wait 40 or 50 years just so you can hopefully retire right. and have enough to live off of the same amount? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's a concept. I mean, you think about it, right? So typically you go and you start with a new company, you get one week or maybe two week vacation. You, know, you might get some, uh, some PTO personal time off, but literally you're indoctrinated to work these crazy hours uh, for someone else, exchange your time for a paycheck, you know, have a week or so or a day here and there, a long weekend to vacate, 
versus you could literally make your whole lifestyle of it. I can do my job just about from anywhere in the world as yep. long as I have internet connection. You know what I mean? So uh, I have freedom. And so a lot of times, to your point, people don't really know what they want. They think that yep. you know they get that retirement after 40 or 50 years. But ultimately, what they really want, what they're saying is, I want freedom in 40 or 50 years. Yep. I don't want to be in prison. Exactly. For, you know, this, you know, next 20, 30 years. So I can have that golden age of retirement. Yeah. You know? So uh, that that is also something that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And just like you're talking about, like, you got to do your own research. You got to listen to podcasts. You got to read books. And the issue is that a lot of younger people are not doing that. Right. They're doing what right. they're going to say. They're going to college and they're not really thinking on their own. Um, so with that being said, I'm kind of curious. I want to hear your viewpoint is how can we kind of change that standard in America today? Like, what do you think are, are some things we could be doing to kind of change that culture narrative because i think since COVID happened i think it's starting to happen a little bit right people are shifting oh, yeah. toward entrepreneurship in general but is there anything else that you know we could be doing do you think i honestly think there is no better time ever in the history of the world than now to look at how to become an entrepreneur i mean to your point with COVID, everybody was stuck inside and TikTok really became popular right well, you can find everything you want to know about anything on TikTok, YouTube, yeah. Instagram, Facebook, all these Facebook groups. Uh, now you've got AI, chat GPT and chat on and all this stuff. You can actually ask the AI, how do I create a side hustle or a side business? How do I become an affiliate marketer? How do I become a drop shipper? How do I whatever, whatever, whatever. And the information is literally right there and you can follow it from you know literally steps A through Z. You know, but to your point, I think a lot of times, you know, again, it's an indoctrination, but with your generation, man, I see a lot more people not following the status quo. Nobody wants to go into an office and sit for 40, 50, 60 hours a week. Everybody um, in, in your generation now values, one, they value corporate values and corporate, you know, structure and, you know, that corporate culture. They really value working for a company that they feel has the best interest of the world in mind. And two, they are more interested in, you know, freedom and lifestyle. So I really kind of see a shift in, you know, what I grew up in and what, you know, my parents and, and, and my grandparents grew up in. So like things are definitely changing. So anyone who is really willing to uh, make that effort and, you know, find a different means of uh, creating the lifestyle they want, I mean, the opportunity is right there at their fingertips. Yeah. 100%. And I listen to a bunch of podcasts outside of mine. That's some of the things that like Andy Frisella says as well as like, if you're a beast in nowadays era, you can make yeah. a lot of stuff happen because a lot of people are not out there doing the work and what it, what it really takes to, you know, make it successful. So there's a huge blue sea of like open business that you can go out there and just dominate in. Yeah. And what you're doing right now with this podcast and your social media presence, man, I mean, like literally you are helping to yeah. change that narrative. You're helping to turn the page and, and, and open people's eyes toward the possibilities. Man. Yeah. I appreciate it, man. It's one of the, one of the goals of the podcast. Yeah. But yeah, I think you said it well as, as um, good too, is that, you know, social media and nowadays the internet, we have everything at our fingertips and there's so many mentors that we can go out there and learn from, yeah. you know, go back 20 years ago. That was not the case. You know, nowadays no. you can lay search in Google and find out whatever you want. So as you're talking about, you just got to put in the effort and you can learn those skills to really take you where you want to go. Um, so with that being said, I want to kind of go back to you a little bit. So I'm kind of curious if you could restart your career, right? I mean, like if you go back to being 20 again, like would you even go to college or what would you be doing at that age to kind of get ahead? It's, it's hard to say at 
that I would change anything because um, ultimately what prepared me for entrepreneurship are the experiences I had in the corporate America, right? So I started off in a rotational program. Uh, so they literally sent me to <clears throat> four different states and sent me over to England to live for a year. So I got to immerse in different cultures, different states, learn different processes, learn different leadership styles, learn how to, you know, what motivates um, and influences people to do things. It really helped bolster, you know, my leadership skills. It helped me understand how to run a single business, but how to run an entire business unit engulfing multiple plants. You know what I mean? So like those experiences really helped me. Uh, but to your point, if I had grew up in this generation, then I probably wouldn't have needed all of that. So literally, <clears throat> again, the book that really got me on the on the trajectory that I'm on now was, you know, Think and Grow Rich, um, uh, Richest Man in Babylon and Rich Dad Poor Dad. Once I read those books, I understood like, oh, my goodness, you know what I mean? Like I have gifts that I can monetize, <clears throat> excuse me, and it really just ultimately comes down to figuring out what it is and what angle and direction I want to go in. So to your point, uh, I was very fortunate enough to have an athletic scholarship and then a scholarship with NASA uh, to pay for my grad school. So I didn't necessarily have the, um, you know, the student loan debt that, you know, some of my peers had. So uh, literally like now, I guess if, if I was growing up in this generation, I don't think I would incur, you know, unless I had a scholarship, I probably wouldn't have gone to college. You know, I, I would have gone to YouTube University yeah. and figured some things out. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge point as well. Coming out, you know, college debt free is, you know, a huge thing. A lot of kids incur so much debt, not realizing what they're really getting yeah. themselves into. And then they get trapped, you know, with that going forward. So that definitely. Think about it. So that, that is that has been the blueprint for the last, you know, 100 plus years. Right. Yeah. Um, get out of high school, go to college, incur that debt. Right. Get a job, get married, buy a house, yeah. right? Uh, have a couple of kids. Next thing you know, you have all these strangleholds on you, all right? So who benefits from you buying a house? Uh, the government and the banks, yep. okay? Because technically, unless you own your house free and clear, so when you buy a house, typically, you're going to put 20% down. The other 80% is going to be financed by a bank, okay? If you don't make those payments, the bank's going to foreclose on you. But even when you pay that house off and you don't pay your property taxes on it, they can still come take it from you, right? So you never really freely, truly own right. property. You know, when you get married and you have kids, especially at a young age, so a lot of my friends, you know, they got married early, right after college, you know, um, and they were, you know, had two, three kids at the age of 24, 25, right? And now they're in a position where they have to work for the rest of their lives or unless something changes, unless they win a lottery or have an inheritance. You know, they're pretty much um, engulfed and enslaved to that lifestyle. Right. Well, as for me, you know, I, I knew that and I'm not recommending this for anybody. This is just the path I chose. But I didn't want to get married or have kids uh immediately. You know what I mean? So, like, I knew that I wanted to move around. I traveled a lot for work and I was not you know, very um, uh, conducive to a good relationship, you know, so I had a couple long distance ways that didn't work out. Um, I didn't want to have kids because I did, I did not want to forego the things that I knew that I wanted to do in life, you know, so now that yeah. I'm fairly well um, established and, and comfortable and stable, you know, now I can entertain that part of my life because I never, I never feel like it's too late to have that. People look at me and they're like, 
you're how old and you've never been married, you don't have any kids, and blah, blah, blah. just like, you know, don't put your, you know, um, indoctrination beliefs on me. You know what I mean? I chose my path, yeah. I put my path, I'm happy about my path. You know what I mean? So everybody's got to figure out what's best for them and, and stick to it. Exactly. And that's a pretty interesting point as well. I know like my grandparents were, so got married at 18, right? Had kids yeah. like 18 and then right, right. Yeah. <laughs> shifted, you know, going forward because now people want more freedom, right? And right. Then, say it's all about like more freedom nowadays like like That's i don't know if you really thought about it like would you rather have like a a huge salary but you're working 80 hours a week right or would you rather make like five thousand like passively each month and you really control your own time you can do whatever you want to do so indeed it's kind of a shift in the mindset you know in that right. regard like it's not just about the money in this case it's more about having that flexibility in your life too and that's what it's about man so like a lot of people have a, a negative connotation on money. Like I, like I said, I've had some relationships. I'm like, all you care about is money. And it's like, no, money to me represents time. It represents freedom. It represents being able to outsource all the things that I don't enjoy doing to have someone else do on my behalf to support my business so that I can go down and hang out in Florida or go to Greece or go wherever you exactly. know, and have fun and not have to be bogged down or have to ask my boss, Hey, I'd like to schedule a vacation next week. Can I go? <laughs> no, you can't, Anthony, because we don't have coverage for you. You know what I mean? Like, oh, right. I want that freedom. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 so different. It's so different. Um, and so back to your story. I know you mentioned you were in management. You learned a ton of leadership skills and obviously stuff that you kind of took into entrepreneurship. So I know you could talk forever about that kind of stuff. But if you can narrow it down, like a couple of the big things that you learned about like, running these huge teams and what really motivates people, like what would you pinpoint that kind of stuff to be that you've really carried over? into your entrepreneurship stuff? Um, the first thing is understanding what your goals and objectives are for your either your team, your organization, your plant, your business unit, whatever that is. Once you as a leader fully understand that, then breaking that down in bite-sized chunks so that your leaders uh, and your team underneath you can understand you know, what the goals are and how what they do impacts those objectives. And then to break it down even further, you break it down into action items and steps. Um, and metrics and goals for them to achieve so that once they hit their goals, their team hits, you know, its goals, and then our plant hits its goals, and then ultimately our business unit hits its goals, right? So, again, I got really good at understanding, you know, what motivates people, you know, so how to incentivize people to do the things that, you know, we need them to do in order for our team and our plant and our business unit to be successful. So uh, that's ultimately what it taught. And what I learned is, you know, what motivates people in North Carolina is different than Georgia, different than Virginia, different than California, different than Canada, different than England. You know what I mean? Like, so working in all these different um, cities and countries really helped me really understand how to adjust my leadership and communication style to be more effective. Yeah. And so for, the, for those motivating factors, aren't they mainly incentives? Like, have you found out that just cash stuff or like, what do you recommend for that kind of stuff for the motivating what do you, uh, a lot of times, really and truly, I found that money is one of the least motivating factors or incentives. You know, a lot of people just like time, you know, so they like recognition. They like to under, they like knowing that they're part of a bigger mission and that what they do actually matters. And for someone to take the time to come speak to them or take the time and say, hey, I recognize what you're doing. Um, I'd like to give you an additional vacation day or, or additional PTO. You know what I mean? Or I like to I'll let you leave a couple hours early so you can go watch your kids' basketball game, whatever. 
a lot of times that meant so much more to people than a hundred bucks or two hundred bucks or a little bonus. You know what I mean? It's so again, but it's all about understanding what motivates uh, various individuals. Right, and the different cultures. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I didn't didn't, uh, didn't realize that. Oh yeah, uh, it's scientifically proven, man, that money yeah. is is not as big of a motivate motivator as a lot of people think. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things you mentioned was how important goals was and kind of aligning that with your employees as well, making sure everyone's kind of working towards the same goals. So for you and your real estate business, I mean, what are some goals that you have in your real estate business and like what target do you try to hit over there on that side of things? So I had a goal of I wanted to make at least $10,000 a month in rental income. All right. So what I had to do was break it down and, and understand, OK, if I want to make $10,000 of income, then how many properties does that mean that I need to have and what type of properties and what locations, right? Cause I, I have uh, homes in this neighborhood uh, that I currently live in and in uh, Aslan Heights in York, these properties go for, you know, $350,000, which means I can charge 25, $2,600 of rent. Okay. So if that's the case, I only need a couple, you know, three or four of those and I'm good. So I have a couple homes here. I have a couple homes uh, up in new Oxford, um, I have a couple in, in, in York City. So collectively, I reached that goal. You know what I mean? So like yeah. once I got there, it's like, okay, so now I can sustain my life and I can focus my attentions elsewhere. So then I started my trucking business. And the same thing, I wanted to employ people, uh, specifically those who uh, need a second chance opportunity, like guys who have a criminal record or folks who you know are shunned by some of the bigger companies. So you know, I have a kind of a mission-based um, organization in regards to that. So uh, kind of the same thing. I look at what my revenue targets are to cover all of my expenses, but then also to be able to pay my salary, right? So in the real estate business, that's just passive rental income, right? So um, not only is that taxed at a lower rate, but I also have depreciation on those assets that I can also use as a deduction to lower my taxes. Right. In the trucking business, I have that set up as an S corporation and I'm an employee of that business. So now, just like you said, uh, like we talked about earlier, so I pay federal, I pay state, I pay, you know, uh, unemployment taxes and all that stuff. But I get to write that off on my personal income taxes. And as my business, you know, my salary is an expense of the business now. You know what I mean? So again, gotcha. just depending upon, you know, so I got that rental income, that passive income, that depreciation over there. I've got earned income in the uh, trucking business and then in the construction and development business, we have, you know, different goals and objectives. Right. So um, it just again, it all depends upon, you know, what revenue targets you want to hit and then breaking that down into the smallest attainable steps and then going after it and just making that happen. You know? Yeah, I love that. I love that. And so a lot of people, they're going to be listening to like they're going to be confused, right? Because you mentioned that the goal is to not pay anything in taxes, right? So to basically come out even on that regard. But with that being said, doesn't that mean that you're not making any profit either, right? If you're writing off all these expenses, like you're spending that money still, like you're not really saving any money after that. So can you kind of touch on like how that really works and how? That's the magic of entrepreneurship, man. So yeah. like uh, typically it's not uncommon for businesses to uh, not be profitable uh, for the first couple of years, right? So the first couple of years of my, um, of my um, uh, real estate business, obviously it was heavy in acquisitions, heavy in renovations. Um, so literally that was, you know, those were losses uh, that I took. Last year was actually profitable or right? pretty good. You know what I mean? Because I wasn't doing any acquisition. I didn't have much uh, renovation expenses incurred. It was basically just rental income coming in. You know what I mean? So 
you know, I had some some debt on those properties um, that I refinanced. And so, you know, I actually did show a little bit of profit. But again, over on the trucking business side, you know, we had sustained heavy losses. So I, I took some losses in that regard. Now, there are ways um, that you can show profit when needed to. Uh, like if you're going to apply for a bank loan or whatever the case is, you know, you can look at a P&L statement and some of the things that um, P&L stands for profit and loss, right? So, you know, when you have heavy mechanical issues or upgrades that you're making to the truck, you can capitalize that and those can, you know, kind of drop off the line so that it doesn't necessarily show as loss. So then ultimately you can show some bit of profitability for the means of doing whatever you need to do from the bank's perspective. But over in the tax side, you know, you can do whatever you need to do to, you know, pay those, uh, you know, pay as little tax as possible. So I, I, I know I'm speaking in riddles right now because I don't want to give any financial advice to anyone. I am not an accountant. Uh, I'm not a financial expert. I do what's best for my business and in my best interest. But to your point, um, you can be profitable without it looking like you're profitable. That makes right. Sense. Right. I think the big thing to come out with this is that you got to know the rules of the game. Right. I mean, how many people actually understand the tax code, the tax rules, all that stuff that's going on on that side? And then they don't know why they're paying all that money in taxes. Right. I mean, you got to understand the rules to properly play the game and to win the game at the end of the day. And there's a reason why people like Donald Trump, Warren Buffett, they don't pay anything in taxes and they're making profits every single year. So. There's a method to the madness. Very astute of you, my friend. And so people get mad at them, right? People yeah. like hate Donald Trump and they, they get mad at Warren Buffett. They get mad at Bezos and yep. Elon Musk when he's like, look, I have no money, man. I'm going to have to sell stock to pay my taxes. Like, what do you want me to do? Right. right. But really and truly, the government in the tax code rewards people for two things. They reward people who create jobs and employ people. And they reward people who provide housing. So if you create jobs and you provide housing, you're solving a lot of problems for a lot of people. So right. as a reward, you pay less tax. So it's nothing illegal about it. It's in the tax, it's in the tax code. Right. And a lot of your politicians and all these folks, these career politicians, they don't pay tax either. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, instead of people getting angry, like I used to be, and I, I admit, <clears throat> I used to be one of those people that get pissy and upset <laughs> and downright angry when yeah. I'm making quarter mil a year and I'm like, how am I only bringing home this? You know what right. I mean? I say only because that is significant in comparison to what a lot of other people make. But it's yeah. like, man, this is just sucky. And that's what got me curious to figure out, all right, I'm hearing about like people not paying tax. Like, how is it? Yeah. And then when I started reading like books like Tax-Free Wealth and, you know, uh, Millionaire Secrets and all these different things, I'm like, okay, they're not doing rocket science here. You know, the code is there if you you know, or adapt to read it and understand it and execute it. So yep. uh, for those who are watching this and you're upset about the conversation that we're having about paying tax, do your research and you cannot pay tax too. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You just got to do your research. You got to go through that learning curve, right? And yeah. so you're on the other side of the learning curve. Looking right, back, right, which is right. Pretty cool. It's a so, different kind of education. Yeah, exactly. They don't teach you that in school either. I mean, I wish I wish they did, but I'm in yeah. finance. I haven't learned it yet. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, indeed. When you find a college class that teaches that, let me know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, so I really, I really enjoyed our conversation. We just have a couple minutes left. So I just have a few more questions for you kind of going forward. Go for so one, what are some of your, I know you mentioned some books like Think and Go Rich, but besides those books, I mean, what are some of your top book recommendations for people to be reading, whether it's like on the tax code, that kind of stuff, or just entrepreneurship in general? 
a couple books. Um, one is called The Obstacle is the Way. And it basically, <clears throat> you know, um, excuse me, <clears throat> man, it basically teaches you that, you know, anything that offers resistance um, is the path you should probably take because it's a path that most people aren't taking and there's rewards and riches on the other side of that. Uh, Richest Man in Babylon talks about the importance as an entrepreneur of paying yourself first, right? Making sure that you value yourself enough that you are going to look out for the needs, uh, emotional needs, spiritual needs, and financial needs of yourself. So if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else. Tax-free wealth um, is loaded with all sorts of information on, again, how to get those uh, tax deductions legally, all right? How to keep track, per, uh, keep track so that in case you're audited, that you can justify some of these business meetings and meals and vacations and um, off-site retreats that you're taking, all right? Um, again, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, Think and Grow Rich, it really gets you thinking on a completely different level. You know what I mean? So it really teaches you how to um, sync up your brain and your heart to make sure that your brain and your heart are always in alignment. Because a lot of times people have a duality and a sense of war within them. Whenever they're thinking one thing but feeling something else, you know, the Bible says a double-minded man can expect to receive nothing. Right. So unless these two are in sync and moving in the same direction, you're, you're, you're going to be paralyzed and indecision. And that's not profitable. Um, I love that. What else? Uh, I have a couple books over there. I don't really know. But those, if you if you stick to those five that I just mentioned, like you'll be well heads and shoulders above on your way um, compared to other folks. I love that. Well, I know I'll definitely be checking out some of those books going forward. Yeah. So cool. that's awesome. Uh, and then before we head off, is there anything else you'd like to say? No, man, I just want to say I appreciate you having me on. Uh, really, really love what you're doing. And I hope that people find value in the conversations. And more important, uh, all, everybody says knowledge is power. Knowledge is not power. Knowledge is only power when it is actually put into action. So you have to take action. You have to execute the things that you learn. So I love that. All right, guys, there you have it. Anthony Moore, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, thank you. Hey. No, it